Uh, we've been on a journey here through the book of 2 Corinthians. Last week uh, we uh, talked about uh, eternity. We talked about the a reality that everyone who's born will live forever. We talked about judgment, the judgment uh, found at the Bema seat of Christ. We're going to carry on our discussion here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we'll uh, see how far we get this morning. Um, uh, yeah, let's just unpack this as uh, we're able. Here now from God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we'll pray. Therefore, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. I pray that it would uh, permeate deep into our hearts. And Lord, that it would change our thoughts as our minds are transformed into the likeness of Christ. And Father, that we would seek to apply your word that we would seek to do uh, the things that you call us to through the power of your Spirit. Come and speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Notice how Paul continues on in this passage. Up to this point, he's, he's kind of been this passive participant in the work of God. God is working in him, transforming him to the likeness of Christ. We've read about how he is a jar and Jesus Christ is what brings value and he fills the jar. We read about how Paul knew that he was saved last week because of what Christ had done. We read about how he is uh, uh, going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, this judgment of the saints, and, and how our works are going to be uh, judged, whether good or evil. And we talked about how God in eternity past had set good works aside for us to accomplish. And uh, not only has he set these good works for us, but he's also, through the power of his spirit, enabled us to do the very things that he set forward for us to do. And then he rewards us. This is the miracle and the generosity of God. And now, Paul continues, but notice he says, therefore. Therefore, whenever we see therefore, we always have to ask the question, what for? 
Why is he connecting these statements? Well, he's connecting the reality that we are eternal beings, that we are eternal, that we will live forever. There's a transition that's happening here. He's now moving from this passive participant and the the reconciliation and the redemptive work of God in his life, and he's going to start saying, this is what's going to happen in light of what God has done. This is the the work of transformation in my life. This is now the outworking of God's work in me. That's part of it. Secondly, he's tying into this reality of eternity that we talked about last week. That that we are eternal beings, that we will live forever. And he's tying into the judgment. He's tying into the judgment. Notice what he says here. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. The King James says it this way. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord. The word fear of the Lord, or the statement, I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is used over 300 times in reference to God in the Scriptures. Make no mistake, this is a reality of Scripture. We sometimes like to downplay the impact of the statement and speak about how it it just speaks to uh, the reverence that we should have towards God. And that is true. But there's more to it than that. Knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the reality of who God is, knowing the reality that we are eternal, it speaks again of judgment. Jesus said it this way. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, when speaking to his disciples, he's sending them out, the 12 disciples. He's sending them out to proclaim the gospel. In Matthew 10, he says, listen, go and heal the sick. Go cast out demons. Go declare the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he warns them. He says, this is going to be difficult. It's going to be really difficult to do this. You're going to be dragged before uh, rulers. You're going to be dragged before synagogue leaders. You're going to pay a high price for declaring the gospel. That's what Jesus says. It's a very difficult chapter to read. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, he's speaking not just to the 12. He speaks to us as well. That, that declaring the gospel is difficult. In verse 28 of chapter 10, he kind of brings it to a culmination. He says, listen, don't you fear those who can kill the body. Good night. Can you believe that? Don't fear them who who can destroy the body. Don't fear the one who who can stop you. Don't fear those people. Now look what what he says as to who we are to fear. He says, no, don't fear the one who can destroy the body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. See, Jesus was uh, keenly aware that eternity was ahead. And he realized that the proclamation of the gospel would bring an affront to those who proclaim. And he's trying to set the record straight for his disciples. He says, don't fear people who can destroy the body. No, you fear God. Fear God. Why? Because there's an eternity. There's a, a judgment that's coming. And that's what Paul's speaking about here. He's saying, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that there's a judgment that's coming, I persuade others. My friends, we're so quick to uh, point our finger at God and say, this doesn't seem fair. We're so quick to say, you know, God, why why does it have to be that way? And and then we want to play a passive role in the ministry of reconciliation. 
this whole portion of scripture is explaining what motivates Paul to endure hardship. This whole portion of scripture explains why Paul is so passionate about the ministry of reconciliation. One of the reasons he's so passionate about the ministry of reconciliation is because of the fear of the Lord. There's a judgment coming, and all those who don't know Christ will be separated for eternity in a place called hell. And Paul is keenly aware of that. And so what does he do in light of that reality? He persuades others. Charles Frederick Peace, a famous English burglar, born in 1832, died in 1879. He says this. He was known for murdering and, uh, murder and burglary. He embarked on a life of crime after being maimed in an industrial accident as a boy. After killing a policeman, policeman in Manchester, he fled to his hometown of Sheffield where he became obsessed with his neighbor's wife. He shot the husband dead. Settling in London, he carried out a multitude of burglaries before being caught in the prosperous suburb of Blackheath. He wounded a policeman there who had arrested him. He was linked to all kinds of crimes in Sheffield. He was tried, found guilty, and he was to be hanged for his crimes. On the morning of his execution, Peace ate a heartily breakfast of bacon. He calmly awaited the coming of the public executioner, William Marwood. He was escorted to the death, uh, uh, on the death walk, I'm sorry, by the prisoner chaplain who was reading from the consolation of re religion about the fires of hell. Peace burst out, Sir, Listen closely. Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worth my while just to save one soul from an eternity in hell like you speak of. Friends, God is calling us to enter into a ministry of reconciliation. God is saying to you and to me, don't fear people. Fear God. He's calling you and me into recognizing the reality of the world we live in. And that we play a significant role in helping people come to terms with who Jesus Christ is. Paul persuades. Notice the language. It's not passive. It's not just sort of like, well, no big deal. Let me be about the business of God and be obedient. No, 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 no. He persuades others to be reconciled with God, to repent, to turn to Christ. He persuades. Friends, God calls you and me to enter into a, a, a walk of recognizing the lostness of people. And he's calling us to enter in and persuade others that they would, that they would, that they would repent and turn to him. Therefore, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We, we don't back down. We, we, we encourage, we implore, we beg others, be reconciled with God. For we 
for what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to you also, according to your conscience. Paul's not saying that we do baits and switch here. He's not saying that we manipulate people. God's not saying that we are fear monger. We just know reality and we persuade people. He's alluding back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says that it's by the open statement of God we present ourselves and, and, and the gospel to people. He's explaining that the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of those who are perishing. And so... So he persuades. He goes on to say this, we're not commending ourselves to you again by giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. This is uh, a direction towards those who are all about the external, the super apostles. He said, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about the heart and what God is doing in the heart and how he's transforming and changing us into the likeness of Christ. He's, he's speaking about the sacrifice that comes with following Christ. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, he goes on to say. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Some translations would describe it this way. If we're out of our mind, it's for God. When, when people see the Christian who, who's willing to, to uh, surrender all for a message for a person of Jesus Christ. The world looks and goes, they're crazy. Why are they doing this? It doesn't make sense. They are out of their mind. And Paul says, no. We're not out of our mind. It's for God. Our focus is singular. It's on God. And we are in our right minds. Why? Because as we surrender all to him, and he uses us to proclaim the message of Christ, it's for the sake of those who are listening. He goes on to say this in verse 14. It's a second motivator as to why he's involved in the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just because of the fear of the Lord that he persuades people. Verse 14 goes on to say this. It's for the love of Christ. It controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Notice that it's for. It's, it draws us back to the selfless ministry that we just talked about. It's all about God. And so for uh, the love of Christ, it controls us. The motivation of Paul's ministry is the love of Christ, who dies for all. It's not just a sincere love that Christ has towards you and to me. Although it is sincere, it's more than that. It was a sacrificial love. A love that sacrificed for you and for me. For Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. He paid in full for our sin. This love has so captured the heart and mind of Paul that he says, that's why I'm involved in the ministry of reconciliation. For the love of Christ controls us. Notice it's not our love for Christ, it's love, uh, Christ's love for us. I love that. It's his love towards us as Paul fixes his attention on what Jesus has done. Of all the ways that, that uh, we could have been saved. <laughs> of all the ways that, that we could have uh, found uh, an easier road to salvation. Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven for you and for me. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. He endured such suffering for you and for me. Scoffing, mockery for you and for me. 
When the soldiers blindfolded him and punched him in his face and said, who's punching you? When they ripped his beard out, he endured such brutality for you and for me. This love had so captured Paul that it controlled him. Controlled him. And so he concluded that one has died for all. That Jesus Christ had paid the price for all people everywhere. Not in a universal sense. That's not what Paul's saying. No, that would be contrary to the whole book of 2 Corinthians. No, Paul says what? That when I'm with you, I am the aroma of Christ. To those who are living, I bring life. To those who are perishing, I bring death. No, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All people irregardless of who they are, if they call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. Irregardless of what they've done, his sacrifice was sufficient for all people, for all sin. Therefore, all have died. What, what, what does he mean by that? Well, two things. We still likely are going to die unless the return of the Lord comes. We may be spared from that physically. But also spiritually, we have died. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, he says that we have been crucified with Christ. We have died with him. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for our selfish motives. We live for Christ. Why? Because he's died for us. We've been crucified with him. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for, for Christ. That's what he goes on to say. For all, uh, for, and he has died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. No, we put aside our selfish ambitions. We put aside our selfishness, and we allow the spirit of Christ to fill us. We allow the word of God to transform our minds into his likeness, and we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for his sake. For he has died, and he has risen. See, Jesus Christ has come. His love controls us, compels us to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. It's not about us anymore. It's about him. It's not about what other people think. It's about him. It's not about the, the, the pushback that comes when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, it's about him. It's about Jesus Paul turned his full attention to Jesus Christ the Lord. And he surrendered his life wholly and completely to him. He no longer lived for himself, which seems like he's out of his mind. Yet no, he's fully in his mind, for it's all about God. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. We, we take a different point of view we, we take a different point of view. He goes on to say this, therefore, in light of this, since we no longer live for ourselves because Christ is changing us, because Christ is transforming us, because Christ controls us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, good news. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice a few things here. If anyone, if anyone has called on the name of the Lord, they are a new creation. It's open to all people. If you've never called on the name of the Lord, listen, friends, if you've never called on him, listen, you, you don't have a new creation. If you have, 
If anyone is, now notice the next part, is in Christ. It's not anyone who is perfect. Do you notice that? It's not anyone who, if you're in Christ, this is the good news. He transforms us. If anyone who has received Christ, he is, or in Christ, I'm sorry, then, then the old has passed away. It is in the aorist. It's an indication of a single action now completed, pointing to the end of the former. <laughs> You're a new creation. It's done. Why? Because Christ died on the cross. Why? Because Christ is risen. Why? Because Christ transforms. If you've received Christ, if you're in Christ, then you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come, which is in the perfect tense, indicating a past action with a continual effect. You're new. You know, I've seen that in my own life. Seems like God is changing and transforming me when I'm not looking. I watch a movie that I watched long ago and think was a good movie, and now I can't watch it. Because something inside of me just doesn't, doesn't, it's, uh, can't, can't do it. And then I sit back and I go, God, what happened to me? I used to love that man. I was a Christian. What happened? I'm a new creation. Not because not not I'm a great person, no, but because I'm in Christ and because of what he's done. He's changing and transforming me. The old is passing away. And the new is coming. He's working in my life. He's working in your life. Pursue him. Pursue him with all that you are. Surrender your selfishness to him. Surrender your desires to him. Allow him to to awaken in you who he is and all that he's done. All this is from God, Paul goes on to say, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I love that. It's all from God. Through Christ and what he did on the cross for us, he's reconciling us. He's transforming us. And then not only that, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? He gave us the ministry of telling others about Jesus, that they too would be reconciled to God. I love that. God doesn't want us to just simply get saved and hold on for dear life until we reach our eternal celestial home. No. No, God wants us to be engaged and he's got confidence in you and in me. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The angels will not proclaim to lost souls that they need to be reconciled to God. It's not going to happen. He's given us that ministry. And he motivates us by knowing the fear of the Lord. He motivates us knowing the, the love of Christ controls us. And he trusts us. He even goes on to say that. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I love that. Why would God trust me? I know I'm weak. 
I know I lack courage. I know I lack strength. I, I know that I, I, I stumble over my words. You hear it week in and week out. Why would you trust me, Lord? But he does. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation and he trusts us with this message that is so important. It's critical. Why? Because eternity is on the line. Eternity. And so we can't sit back and expect everyone else to take care of it. We need to engage in the ministry of reconciliation, knowing that we've been entrusted with such a powerful message. Therefore, we are ambassadors, he goes on to say, for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that what it is, the ministry of reconciliation? It's submission and saying, God, God, I surrender to you. Speak through me. God, I surrender to you. Would you, would you use me? God, I, I surrender to you. It's not about me and my selfish desires. I surrender to you. And, and so, God, would you, would you use my life? Would you use my tongue? Would you use me? I'll be your ambassador. An ambassador was a common practice in Roman Greco time. It was. It was a common practice, and they had the authority of the sender. They went in the place of those who sent him. They secured his interest. And that's what we're doing. We are a heavenly nation. That's what Ephesians 2 says. That we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. This is not our home. And so we are an ambassador for Christ it's his message, and so we herald his message. We have his authority, and it's in his place that we stand. That's why God says he's making an appeal through us. Now notice what he says, so we implore you. I think the NIV says we beg you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Have you begged? Have you begged or implored someone to come to Christ to be reconciled? Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the love of Christ which controls me, I'm an ambassador. I will not live for myself, but for him and his glory. As he changes and transforms me into his likeness, I will be his ambassador. I'll implore people, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become, I love this, the righteousness of God. Hmm. That we might become the righteousness of God for our sake. Jesus became sin for, you, for me and for you. That we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, these are hard words to hear and harder to take. But by the power and the work of the Spirit, we can be what God wants us to be. Oh, that we would surrender our selfishness and our desires. Oh, that we would lean on him and that we would persuade people, that we would implore people, that we would live for others even though it may seem we're out of our mind. Oh, that we'd be a church that was all about everyone else and not about ourselves. Not because of our discipline 
or our strength, but because of what Christ has done in us and through us. Let's stand together. And so, Lord Jesus, you know who we are. Oh, that you would trust us with a message so great. Oh, that you would give us the ministry of reconciliation as you change and transform us. But today we heard a story about a man, a family that's been reconciled by Jesus Christ. How many more, oh Lord, are in our sphere of influence? Help us to have your eyes and your ears. Help us, we pray, to live for you. In Jesus' name.